Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell and as always I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse Pam McMillan. Hello Ryan, how are you today? Pam, I am super, super good and excited about today's episode. Me too. Hey, are you a history buff? Um, in certain areas. In certain areas, I, I claim to know a little bit, but not nearly as much as I probably should. How about you? Uh, probably not. But do you know what you were doing in October of 1986? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe I was playing outside, riding probably. my bike. Yeah. And, um, little do we know or did know that um, something major was happening happening just down the road from us. Yeah. And and something happening down the road, but something that would impact our lives and other lives of people we know today immensely. That's right. Uh, a group of people, smart people got together and um, came up with survivorship. Yeah, I know. And it seems like, gosh, that was so long ago. But in reality, it really wasn't that long ago. And here we are today uh, talking with um, I'm excited about today. I really am. And I get excited about a lot of episodes. But this one's really cool because there is a little bit of history, as you said. But we're going to talk about a lot of things and how that intertwines. And I am really excited to kind of get into the discussion of how that was born and how survivorship came to be, because that's our world. Right, Pam? That's right. We live it every day. We do. So let's just let's just jump right in. And uh, we're super excited to introduce to all of our listeners today. Our guest, we have Judy Pearson. Judy is a best-selling author with four books. Now listen to this, Pam. Millions of published words to her credit. That's a lot. An accomplished presenter and speaker. She believes that helping is healing. Uh, she founded a second act. It's an organization that supports and celebrates women survivors of all cancers as they give back to the world around them. Judy's been featured in the National Cancer Research Progress Report, was named one of Chicago's most inspirational women, a top Phoenix woman to know, a warrior with hope, and a Phoenix healthcare hero. And Judy and her husband live in Phoenix, and we are super excited to have Judy joining us today. Judy, thank you for joining us. Yay. Well, I'm a history nerd. So what you guys lack in history interest, I got it in spades. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so good. Well, you, uh, you know, we were, we were talking earlier, this, this really could be about two to three podcast episodes as we're going to talk about how survivorship came about. Um, and, and that's really going to be the history portion, but you have a, a book about that. We'll talk about all those things and you're also a cancer survivor. So let's start there if we can, Judy. You bet. So in uh, 2011, my life um, was looking pretty good. Um, I am a biographer. So that means I do write about people from history. And I always select people no one's ever heard of before, because I, I think that makes it kind of fun. 
And I had just um, married the man of my dreams. My younger son had um, finally decided on the girl of his dreams with whom he's now married or to whom he's now married. Um, my eldest son was about to deploy to Afghanistan. So obviously I was a little nervous, but his life um, was going along really well. And all of a sudden I found a lump in my cleavage. And um, so we were we were watching TV and I was just scratching and, and I found this lump. And so I said to my new husband, feel this. And of course, men will feel your boobs if you ask them to. And so um, he did and said, yeah, I, that's new. So it couldn't be anything was what we agreed since I had just had the happy gram letter two months earlier from a mammogram that all was well, come back in a year. It was indeed cancer. It was triple negative breast cancer, which is very aggressive. It's only 15% of all cancers, and it typically strikes women who are young, women of color, women of Ashkenazi Jewish descent. I know I am not the first two, and I don't think I have um, any Ashkenazi history. But in any event, when uh, they did the mastectomy, they found other tumors in the breast that had also not been seen. And by the time those had risen to the surface where I could have felt them or they could have been seen in a, a mammogram, the cancer would have spread. So I figured, okay, this, this is, there's a reason for this. And I made a, a deal with God. Hey, if, if you see fit to get me through this, I'll devote my life to whatever you want me to do next. And so here we are 11 years later, um, and I am uh, healthy, haven't had any recurrence, and my life took a big twist. Happy to say my son came home safely from Afghanistan, just as I safely made it through the treatment, and um, all was looking pretty rosy. And you were yeah. recently married. Sorry? When you were diagnosed, you were just recently married, correct? I was newlywed, yeah. Wow. yeah. So the stress of the diagnosis on a marriage, we've talked about that, Ron. We have, we have. Um, you know, there's a lot of those things, right, Pam, that she just talked about, the stresses, uh, a child uh, going off to Afghanistan. I cannot imagine the stress of that on top of having to go through treatment. Yeah, it, it wow. was pretty wild. And in fact, he was, um, they were living in England. His uh, assignment at that time was in uh, the UK. So it wasn't as if I could just hug him when he got on, on a bus <laughs> to yeah. go off to Afghanistan. Um, so uh, we had promised him, I promised him that we would go to England for, um, you know, four to six weeks for the holidays. And we left a week after I finished chemo, you know, like most people, I had no knowledge, no experience. And my oncologist kept saying, well, I don't think you're going to feel very well. And I was like, oh, I'll be fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was bald. I was puny. It was really, really something. But I'm glad we went anyway. It was um, They have two children. So it was certainly the place to be. 
So treatment-wise, did you go through chemo, radiation? I did. No radiation. Um, there, the cancer was only in my breast. So um, once they, and no lymph node involvement. So once they removed the breast, saw that it wasn't in my chest wall, they put an expander in. And then 18 rounds of really... I, I all chemo is gruesome and, and grueling, but it, it was really tough. And my oncologist said, um, and this was a really big lesson that I always try to share. She said, you are so healthy because I always try to eat well and I exercise. She said, I would typically give people, give women treatments every three weeks. We're going to blast this and I'm going to uh, treat you every other week. You're going to hate me but this is the way we're gonna go. And my boys actually tried to talk me out of chemo. She said the cancer, the oncologist said, the cancer's out of your body, but without chemo, you have a 30% chance of it coming back. And that was just too high. And so the boys kept saying, mom, it's gonna really create havoc, which of course it did, but it, it was just the choice I made. And I'm still glad that I made that choice. And so, um, yeah, I finished uh, the week before Thanksgiving. We had Thanksgiving and then got on a plane and flew to England. Wow. 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 <laughs> you know, Pam, we talk a lot on this podcast about um, survivors being their own best advocate. And I can tell you just in the first 10 minutes here, that Judy was her best advocate. <laughs> you know, I mean, in, in that case, when you know everyone say, "No, you shouldn't do it," and it's family, and but ultimately, right, you are still in charge of making that decision. Was that a hard decision? I mean, I know you said the the, the percentage was too high, but when you have family saying, "Oh, you shouldn't," was that a was that a difficult choice? It it really wasn't. It was, um, you know, my my sweet husband said whatever you think, whatever you, I'm here for you. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't difficult. And, um, I respected their opinions, but it just, as I say, it was, it was just too high. And there was one time <laughs> we were driving to, we lived in a, a small town in Michigan at the time and, uh, right around the lake bottom from Chicago, where we ultimately also bought a condo. So my, my post, um, uh, treatment phase of surveillance, then I moved to uh, Northwestern University. But um, we were driving to out of 18, like chemo number 16. And Nick could call me free of charge from Afghanistan, which he he did frequently. Ironically, he couldn't call his wife, because the free thing only worked to the US and she was living in England. So he called me Oh, a couple times a week, because by that time it would be evening there. And so when he could, he would call me. So we're driving to chemo and he called and I started to cry. I'm not a crier. I have no idea why, but why I did this. But I started to cry and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. So my husband pulled the car over and I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, you said you don't want to do this anymore. And I said, well, they've already ordered my drugs. We can't let it go to waste. And he said, it's not like it's a turkey dinner. It's drugs. They can use them on somebody else. And I was like, no, I'm not going to be a quitter. She said 18, I'm going to do it. Nick is saying from Afghanistan, mom, if you don't want to do it, stop. But I, I went for it. You completed the mission. You I did. Dang yeah. it. So after, 
after your treatment, you entered this part of survivorship um, where it's surveillance. Is Was that hard transition for you? So here's the funny thing. I researched for a living, as I've said, as a biographer. I carefully researched the cancer type, the my treatment, um, my reconstruction, um, every doctor's appointment. Talk about being an advocate. I had you know questions, pages of questions, but it never occurred to me that survivorship was a thing. I just truly believed, you guys, when they unplugged me from chemo, like instantaneously, I would be the old Judy and nothing could be further from the truth. You know, brain fog, night sweats, chronic fatigue and insomnia, um, joint pain. And my um, symptoms from the treatment were really mild compared to what a lot of people go through. I just, I was astounded. And when I asked the oncologist why she hadn't told me about this, um, which was the impetus for me moving um, to my treatment or my surveillance to Chicago, she said, it wasn't important to tell you about it. We were busy saving your life. And the research that went into the book from shadows to life about the survivorship movement, you know, that's kind of what a lot of doctors felt, um, my she shouldn't have had that opinion in 2011. By that time, she should have gotten the memo that survivorship is a thing and it needs to be talked about at the beginning. But um, be that as it may, I was shocked. I, I was totally shocked. So when we came back from the UK, I um, had been researching about women's courage. I was gonna write a book about women's courage because my first two books were about a, ordinary people who'd been extraordinarily courageous during World War II, one a man, one a woman, their courage was very different. And I thought, you know, we may not be able to lift cars off of children, but we are courageous creatures and we just need to recognize what our courage looks like. And one of the chapters, I mean, this is like so bizarre. One of the chapters was courage in the face of chronic illness. And I interviewed a woman um, that who was a friend of my neighbors who was living with stage four ovarian cancer. And she had started a support group and she was writing a newsletter. And the pre-cancer Judy thought, why is she doing that? She should be spending her days cruising and and you know getting pedicures and massages and the post-cancer Judy got it. You get to the other side and you just think, wow, I need to make every day count. And for her, that was making every day count. At the same time, I was researching for that book, volunteering, and I had come across shocking statistics from a survey that had happened just a year before my diagnosis about the measurable health benefits of volunteering makes people feel better. They can manage their chronic illness better. Um, You know, all of the feel good hormones get released. And I thought there is healing in helping. And I put that together with all the miraculous survivors, primarily women survivors. I mean, you know, we kind of flock to our own herd and thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start an organization that supports and celebrates women survivors of all cancers who are creating a second act by helping. And the name became a second act. 
And you talked about the first act being. So if cancer draws a line in the sand of your life, the first act is everything that happens to you until you hear those words, because those words from the second you hear them change everything. And the second act then begins getting through your treatment and figuring out what your remaining days look like. And a second act doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be starting an organization. It can be as small as random acts of kindness. And so I thought, all right, so I want to help women figure out what their second acts are. So the organization is going to make micro grants to women survivors who want to launch or grow their second acts and to raise money. We're going to do live storytelling events on a stage of women who have created their second acts. And um, we were really steaming along until COVID, just like everybody else. So there are right now available on the website, 56 videos, and they're short. They're like five, seven minute videos of women's second acts. And they're not sob stories. I mean, we tell them you get to spend one minute talking about your diagnosis, diagnosis and treatment. But after that, the story is what happened next. And some of them are hilariously funny. You can sort them by cancer type. Then we got creative and said, okay, so we need to pull women in. We'll do girls night out events, which we do quarterly. And then the last component was um, workshops. So how do you come up with a second act? You know, where do what does this even mean? And, um, and so the workshops are, are devoted to that. And the other part of it, so the fundraising comes from the storytelling events, and then those stories also go into a book that's an ever-evolving um, collection of the stories uh, available on Amazon. That is so neat. Ron, that sounds so familiar, huh? Yeah, you know, I... Uh... I'm sitting here just nodding my head, grinning from ear to ear, because I can totally relate. Uh, Judy, just a a side note, listeners, don't worry. This is not going to be a long, drawn-out rabbit. you got one minute. I got one minute. Um, I was told the uh, Tuesday or Wednesday before Thanksgiving that I had lymphoma and went through a whole series of of CAT scans, PET scans, biopsy to find out that lo and behold, it was not lymphoma. It was spleen tissue from a previous injury when I was four that got left behind when they removed my spleen. And you're right. My second act was the moment I got home and I thought, and I told my wife, I said, this, this just sucked. I, I I don't, no good way to put it. Thankfully, I did not have to go further as as you did or our cancer survivors do, but you do. You really have. I mean, at that point, it was like, we got to do something and I don't know what we're going to do, but you do. You're and I can hear our survivors heads nodding. Not that you guys have rocks in your heads, but I can feel them. I can hear it nodding that you're you're totally in agreement that your life and your perspective changes from that moment forward. And out of that was born 24 hours in the canyon, which then born gave birth to the cancer survivorship program where we are today. And so, um, but yeah, I would say you're exactly right. Not everybody, please don't feel like your second act has to be creating a massive organization or a a crazy bike event like we have. 
it, it can be very simple. It could be volunteering at the bike event. Pam, it could be That's volunteering right. at the center. Um, right. Those types nor of does it, Nor does a second act have to be cancer related. Correct. There are, there are stories um, on our website connected to um, animals and um, children and education. And, you know, there's just taking the focus off yourself and off of whatever's troubling you and shining it out. That's all you have to do. You, you can, you know, you can volunteer at the library if that's your thing. You know, this is a common theme that I see in survivors whenever I meet with them, you know, they want to give back after yes. this diagnosis. What do I do? How do I find that and finding that purpose after the diagnosis is yeah. so important. Yep. Yeah. You know, the other thing, Judy, I read on uh, your website from about Second Act, um, and I find it very powerful and, and, and it ties right in line, of course, with what you just said, is that um, you said valuable lessons can come out of all journeys, even the difficult ones. And that's really what we, we talk about here at the Survivorship Center is it's your story. Right. You need to tell it because you never know, just like you, you guys do, you never know who that's going to impact. And you yeah. never know who's going to hear that and go, oh, I can relate. I want to do this now, or I want to do that now. And if so you change, if you change or you, you reach one person and that person reaches one person and so on and so on, it's like the old fashioned uh, shampoo ad, you know, the exponential growth of, of goodness right. is mind boggling. It is. And then the second thing you said is that we all owe a payback to humanity. And I think that's the second act, right? We're, we're involved right. in doing something good. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, just like I, th I mentioned this once before, Lance Armstrong's physician told him about the obligation of the cured. And that's kind of the same thing here is, you know, you, you owe a payback. You need to, you need to go forth and, and do, do good for the community. Right. Yep. Well, our listeners are probably wondering, what does this have to do with the meeting in Albuquerque? So how yeah. did the book come about um, and how so did you decide I, to write the book from shadows to life? So the courage book, I just uh, couldn't wrap my mind around it. That, that was a lesson in and of itself. I, I, I am a storyteller. And so those are the books that I need to write. So I, I thought, well, you know, until the next, and, and when you write a book, you're really married to that thing. You know, there are marriages that less that last less time than the amount it takes to research and write a book. So I thought, well, I'll just uh, put my energies into second act until the next story comes along. And through second act, um, because we also do programs in Tucson, I met a Tucson woman, Susie Lay, who became the inspiration for From Shadows to Life. She actually was one of the individuals at um, the, the meeting in Albuquerque. But the story actually begins a little before that. In 1971, so when the book came out last year, it was the 50th anniversary, President Nixon signed the National Cancer Act. Not only did he infuse $1.3 billion, and that's in $71, so we're talking over $8 billion in today's money, $1.3 billion into cancer research, but he promised the disease would be cured by the bicentennial. And by the bicentennial, all anyone remembered about Nixon was uh, Watergate. Watergate, yeah. So, um, 
sure enough, the tide started to turn. So instead of 25% of diagnoses surviving, soon it was 50% and 75%. But even as recent, which it seems recent to some of us, as 1986, cancer survivors had to live in the shadows because people thought it was contagious. At the very least, you were going to have to be gone from work a lot. You could be asked on an employment form whether or not you had ever had cancer. You could be fired if you got cancer. There were all kinds of discriminations and roadblocks that in, in our life today is unbelievable. And the program that you all put on, that was so far in the future, there weren't programs like that. So this group came together from all over the country, met in Albuquerque, and over a three-day weekend really changed the course for survivorship. First of all, they defined what survivorship is. It starts at the moment of diagnosis because that's when we start surviving cancer. There's no magic three years after, 10 years after, five years after, because if you make it to whatever that magic goal line is, what if you get re-diagnosed the day after? Were you then not a survivor anymore? Of course not. So that was the first thing they did. And then they vowed to really work against all of the discrimination um, that was their second act. And, and I thought my second act was creating the organization when in truth, it was more than that. The organization led me to Susie, which led me to this book, which is a biography of the survivorship movement. There weren't even, there weren't even events like your 24 hours in the canyon. There weren't support events. So they started doing those. They wrote an almanac, which was sort of a whole earth cat, a whole earth catalog for survivorship. They said people spend more time researching a refrigerator purchase than researching their own survivorship, which clearly that was me too. <laughs> and they opened people's eyes. And one of the, um, one of that group, Dr. Fitzhugh Mullen, who was a brilliant man, and I had the opportunity to meet him a couple times. He also, he was a physician, as I indicated, but he also was a cancer survivor and, and viewing cancer from the patient side really opened his eyes. So he said, it, it's as if we have invented sophisticated techniques to save people from drowning. But once they've been pulled from the water, we leave them to cough and splutter on their own on the dock in the belief we've done all we can. And, and he said, that's, that, that's not the end. So even when, when cancer survivorship was accepted as kind of a thing, or, or I take it back, even when people were surviving the cancer and that became more of a, a, an accepted thing, there was nothing beyond that. It was just like, bye. Mm -hmm. And that's so wrong. And so that's something else I would encourage your listeners. If you... If you don't find what you need in your community, get some people together and go create something. I mean, we create book clubs and, mm -hmm. and you know, let's have a pickup game of soccer. Well, let's have a pickup survivorship organization. <laughs> That's Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing, Pam, we have talked on countless occasions 
there is no manual to, to follow of how to be a survivor. I mean, there's tips, there's tricks, there's this, there's that. There is no manual. There's no manual of how to start a survivorship program. There's no manual of, you know, what to do. And, you know, our activities and programs and things that we do um, are very specifically designed for cancer survivors. Um, But the unique thing is, is as you just said, Judy, if, if someone says, gosh, we really ought to do X, Y, and Z, then you know what? We're going to try to figure out how to do X, Y, and Z. If we can find someone to teach X, Y, and Z and make it happen. Um, There is, there is such value in um, togetherness with a survivorship group of survivorship program and activities. And it, I want all of our listeners to hear me say this, and I know Pam, you want to echo this as well. We don't dwell on the fact that you have cancer. That's, that's not the purpose of this place. Our, but also the the word survivorship. Um, who is a survivor? And Judy said, from the day of diagnosis. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether you've been told you uh, have to live with your cancer or that you have no evidence of disease. You're you're mm-hmm. a survivor. That's right. That's right. And that group uh, called themselves the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. They um, went on to move their offices to Washington, D.C. They realized that their biggest potential was in changing the discrimination, in making sure um, that everyone had access to what they needed, regardless of where they lived. They stopped doing the survivorship events because by that time, other groups, grassroots groups had grown up. So they kind of did this terrific bell curve. They started as a grassroots group. They rose to the pinnacle of success and they in turn spawned all the other grassroots organizations that are all over the country. It's, it, is, it is an important history that all of us should learn. And when you said there, there's no book on survivorship, there actually is. There are 17 million books on survivorship because that's how many cancer survivors there are in this country. Um, everybody's got a different story. It, different things work for for different people, and you get to decide what that is. That's right. That's and right. Think- and that sounds that sounds like our calendar, Pam. <laughs> there's there's 40, 50 different activities per month, or, or you right. know, activities you can choose from monthly, and uh, some may work for you, and some may not work for you. But um, they're all there for a purpose. Also, that every cancer matters too. Um, I hear oftentimes, well, my cancer really wasn't that bad. I only had to have surgery, or I'm not as bad as the next person. It doesn't matter. You're it's still not a competition. I only had a little. That's my favorite one. I only had a little cancer. Right. No, you didn't. There's no such thing as a little yeah. cancer. So whenever you were researching for this book, what was your favorite thing that you found? I think, um, I don't know. You know, it's like people ask me to pick my favorite book. That's like picking my favorite child. And both of them would say, it's me, it's me. (laughs) Um, I think the most interesting thing for me, beyond just learning that there was a survivorship movement, because I'd never heard of that before, and most people haven't. And and I have to say, this was on the heels of the AIDS movement. So they really took a page out of that. 
But while I was researching the first part about Richard Nixon uh, signing the National Cancer Act, that only happened because of an incredible woman named Mary Lasker, who no one's ever heard of. And it is because of Mary Lasker that he did that. But she began her work um, 30 years earlier. She is the architect, really, of the National Institutes of Health. And I don't mean the buildings. It is because of her that the institutes are plural. We get to go to a doctor today, say I have a lump or say I have whatever. The doctor says that's this. Here's what the treatment is. Well, in the 40s, that didn't exist. In fact, medical research in the US was woefully behind the rest of the world. Mary Lasker changed that. And she was not a doctor, not a scientist, not a congressman or politician. She was a billionaire with an incredible art collection. And she, she didn't want anything. She just did this every single day. And she's the topic of my next book. Wow. It's, it's so powerful to think what one person can do. You know, you, you talked about that that person there with the, the NIH, and then you talk about um, Catherine Logan, you know, kind of really spearheading with uh, Dr. Fitzhugh Mullen. You know, it's just, it takes the proverbial spark, right? The one person who says, this is going to, I'm going to be the torchbearer, and here's what's going to happen, and here's what we're going to do. And then suddenly, you now have this massive organization called the NIH, and you have all these you know, studies that are evidence-based and, and where we are today, it just steamrolled. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that leads, leads a lot of credence to one person never should think, oh, I can't really do much. Yep. Margaret Mead, one of my very favorite quotes, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed individuals can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. Yeah. And that's true. true. Yeah. Good. You know, as I was reading the book, beginning to read it, um, it seems so far away, but yet so, so close. Like we've come a long ways, but we still have a long ways to go. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was, that was actually, I was last week in Washington doing, that was my last research trip <clears throat> for this new book. And um, I was both at the National Archives looking at congressional records and then at NIH at their Office of History going through um, letters and, and just documents of every kind. And I think about that. I mean, I, I found documents where they first started thinking about a cancer virus and then the link between cancer and AIDS. Very people know this. Um, Dr. Robert Gallo worked at the National Cancer Institute back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. He's the guy that researched the cancer that gay men kept presenting with and finally said, wait, this is more than just a cancer and, and discovered the AIDS virus. I mean, it's just, it's, so I'm holding this stuff in my hands. It was so wow. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your hope for people to read when they read this book? I hope that that they realize, first of all, the thing that we've mentioned a number of times that, you know, it, it just takes one person. It doesn't matter what you do, just do. And that's what these people did. And, and sometimes part of that's part of the reason why I think our storytelling works so well is that as humans, it's 
easier for us to identify with another human than just read, okay, number one, you have to do this. Number two, you have to do this. So the story, and this is a group biography, which is something I've never written before. So it kind of follows the stories of uh, four or five people. And so my hope is that in reading it, everyone will um, find someone they can identify with and think, wow, you know, she was just a jewelry maker or she was just a blah, blah, blah. And a housewife, what they called a housewife in the 70s and 80s, I, I could do that. And just some little thing. So that's that's the first thing. And then the other thing that I always think is important for people to come away with when when you read a history is that um, we have come a long way. You know, we've come a long way. Think back, 2020 was only two years ago. Think how much more we know about this virus now. Think, you know, how we recognize that the vast majority of people can live through it. I have twice now. (laughs) And um, it's just, you know, we... We get traumatized in the moment, but just a little bit of perspective and we realize, wow, okay, yeah, we can do this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the thing that strikes me of of that there's so many parallels that that correspond with kind of where we are, Pam, and and where survivorship has been and where it's headed. Meaning, you know, we I don't, I don't want this to come off wrong, but no one was doing survivorship here and doing survivorship has made life change in those that we've been able to see. And I can't tell you, and I know Pam, you know, you've heard this. How many times you hear, Oh, I wish I'd have known about you when I was going through treatment instead of waiting until I was finished with treatment, or I wish that I'd have been able to take advantage. I wish that y'all had been here when I was going through treatment. And it's one of those things where we've almost witnessed the birth of survivorship here in the Texas Panhandle. And I am, I'm grateful um, for all of our instructors. I'm grateful for, for you, Pam, that have come along to say, we're going to, we're going to lead the charge here and we're not going to let survivors just kind of fade off into the sunset once they're finished with their treatment and just deal with, you know, Dr. Google or, you know, whatever that might be looking up side effects and looking up things and things like that. So I just, this pod, this today's episode has just been so overwhelming. Just like, ah, uh, the history of it is just, it's cool. It really, I don't know any other way to say it. I know. And just think we've only been here for seven years. What are we going to do in 10 years? Yeah, seven more or 17 more. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I tell you, is there anything lacking in survivorship? Do you feel like? Ryan or me? You. <laughs> um, I, I don't, you know, I, I, from a medical perspective, I can't say. Um, I live in a very big city, Phoenix, with an awful lot of medical resources. So I, I would say that most probably it's in rural areas where there are really important um, holes. I, and I think the other really big thing, um, just a real quick story, I, I spent the night in the hospital after my mastectomy and the next morning, um, 
a nurse came in, um, probably the you, Pam, of um, the hospital with an, a book from the American Cancer Society. And um, in the, I don't know, 250, 300 page book, um, the last page had two paragraphs on survivorship. And that struck me afterwards as kind of funny because the in the moment cancer part, even if even if you will never live without your disease, once you get a handle on the acute phase of treatment, then you got to live your life. And it seems to me that it should have been the opposite, that there should have been a few paragraphs on, you know, you have cancer, that really sucks, but here's how you can go forward. Right. Um, so I think, and, and then the other thing, bless her heart, she called me like once a week after surgery and kept asking if there was anything I needed. And I didn't, I didn't understand what she wanted. And I kept, finally, I said to her, you're very sweet, but I, I don't need anything. She never explained to me what might be available. And for me, I, I was so fortunate. I had the physical fallout, but I didn't have a lot of psychosocial fallout. And I still really don't. I, I, I really am very blessed in that way. I think because my mind is always active on, you know, shining that out there. So I, I think that, um, I think we just need to talk about survivorship clearly from the get-go in very plain terms. I know that you wrote about Susie talking about talking about it earlier than later yeah. and how important the treatment summary and the care plans are for every patient. Absolutely. And she is still banging that drum. <laughs> well, Maybe we need her on our podcast. We are Actually, she would be fabulous. I'll connect you guys. Yeah, we are beating that drum too. I know we've we've worn out a few mallets and a few uh, drum heads beating that drum, but it is so important. And 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 if you guys are listening and you're saying I don't know what they're talking about with this survivorship care plan or treatment summary, you need to give us a call. You need to call the center 806-331-2400 and ask and just say, I, I need a survivorship care plan and summary, or I need the summary, I need the care, whatever you can remember when you call, we will figure out and plug you in and get that to you. Um, you know, there's some specifics that we have to do and sign a release and so forth, but it is painless. But there's so much information, there's so much there that is not only for you, it's for your primary care physician, it's for your children, it's for your grandchildren. I mean, it is leaving, if you will, um, a, a full educational document in your hands when you leave the center. And um, so that's when, why it's so important. Uh, it's kind of, I remember Pam describing it early on, it's kind of navigation on the tail end. <laughs> it's a lot of education there. So uh, yeah, if you've not had that, you need to make sure you give us a call and, and touch base with us. Pam, I think it's almost time to start talking about our Pete's Powerful Moment. Yes, but before we do that, Judy, where can people find your book and um, find your organization? So if they go to Judith L. Pearson, P-E-A-R-S-O-N dot com, 
Um, from there, you can read the prologues of all my books. You can send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. I'm happy to send um, an autographed book plate. Can't guarantee it'll improve the value of the book, but you know, at least you'll know it's yours. Um, I'd love to speak to other groups. Just drop me a line. And from there, you can also be linked to a second act. And we use the numeral two as opposed to second spelled out but you can get to the organization from my website as well thank you so much for um all the knowledge you shared with us today we like to leave our listeners with the pete's powerful moment do you have a moment that you can share with us i do i think it, it's actually a quote um and and the source of it is kind of up in the air i've never been able to find the source of the quote, but it is that you can even eat an elephant a bite at a time. One of the things that we are so prone to do um, is figure out what everything, what the rest of our lives are going to look like, how it's all going to unfold. And that becomes imminently clear when you receive a cancer diagnosis. What about this? What about that? What about that? Slow your roll. Take one day at a time, one week at a time. You, If you ate an elephant steak every night for 20 years, I promise you the elephant would be gone. All you'd have left is tusk and tail and toenails. You can do the same thing with a problem. One bite at a time, one step at a time. Great words to live by. That's right. Very great words to live by. Uh, the book is called From Shadows to Life. And uh, we encourage you guys um, pick that up, go to Judy's website, um, pick that book up, check it out. Um, we, we will have a copy here at the survivorship center. If you want to come by and pick it up and snag it and bring it back when you're done, we've got a lot of books like that, uh, in our resource library for you guys as well. So, uh, Judy, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's been wonderful. It's been um, enlightening. It's been reassuring. And I tell you, um, from a little bit of a history uh, standpoint, I, it's it's so really cool to see how what we're living in, how it got started. You don't often get to, you know, understand the, the ins and outs, but you've, did, you've done a fantastic job of, of, of recording it. And so I applaud you for all your research. I know that wasn't easy. But it was fun. Yeah, yeah, I bet it was. I bet it was. Pam, let's talk about some homework for our listeners. Okay, what shall it be to this week? Well, I think, as I said, if you've not had a survivorship care plan or treatment summary, you need to get in here and get it done. The other thing is, uh, check out our website. Uh, we, too, use the numerals, 24survivorship.org. Uh, look at that monthly calendar. As I mentioned earlier, there's like 40 to 50 different or 40 to 50 different activities per month. Not all of them are wellness classes. Uh, most of them are, but uh, we have art group and we also have just some fun activities for you just to just have those mini vacations, as we've talked about on our podcast before, um, a little break. Whether you're just got through with treatment and you know that you know tomorrow or the next day is not going to usually be well and you're able to fit in some of our fun activities, jump in some of those things. Um, speaking of jumping in, I would encourage you to jump into the water class, not, not literally jump in, but the water class is one I always tell people is a great one to start with because they're, they're such a warm and welcoming bunch as all of our folks are, but um, they have a lot of fun in there. Just don't get Betty's hair wet. Just don't get Betty's hair wet. That is rule number one. 
And that's the only rule there is, is do not get Betty's hair wet. You're exactly right. Thank you guys for joining us. Judy, thank you for joining us. And everyone, make sure you're here next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.